If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. I'm Emmett, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> no. um, so with me tonight, if it hasn't already been said, is Matt from Canada, Ron from Washington, and Dan, and his first uh, show uh, all the way from Nottingham. Um, how are you, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, still, still a little reeling from the other night's quiz disaster, uh, but... Yeah, ready to get back on the horse. It wasn't a disaster at all. Ron, did you watch the show the other night, the quiz? I did. That, that, that was a, it was a good that was a good laugh. That was a good laugh. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, how have you been? We've not spoken in a few weeks. Yeah, man, it's been it's been good. Just trying to dodge the forty degree days here, and uh, you know, and try to enjoy a bit of the holiday. But that's about it. Good stuff. And Dan, your first time on the show. You're very welcome. Um, like Thank we you. did with Matt and Ron when they came on first, do you want to maybe tell our, ourselves and the, the viewers a little bit about how you became a, a Liverpool supporter? Um, yeah, so probably my earliest uh, memory was was 89, I think. Um, red candy kit with a little flicks in. That was my first kit uh, that was bought for me. Um, and the two earliest memories, uh, both are very different um one was was hillsborough the other was the uh final day shootout against arsenal anfield they're the two, they're the they're the two memories that, that stick out um for me they're the earliest ones so yeah it just went from there really just a lot of my friends at primary school were all man united fans and i just wanted to go against the green really, i suppose so i did and that's 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 been me for that's about 40 years. So 30 years of pain, but it's been well worth the way. Yeah, as, as as you know, Emma, the 90s and early 2000s were uh, painful days. But Aaron. we're here. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> you, appreciate, you appreciate it better. Oh, you do, yeah, absolutely. That's what I keep telling my little lad. Uh, enjoy it now because it may not last forever, so... Um, look, um, we've not spoken to uh, Ron and uh, speaking to Matt just before we kind of get into tonight's topic. So this is the viewer's voice. <clears throat> what we do is we ask Matt, Ron and Dan to give a topic. Um, but before we actually get into the topics, how's everybody enjoying um, pre-season? Ron, have you been watching the games? So far, so good. Um, I, I, I don't I don't put a lot of stock, in them, stock into them. I just like to see – I just, I like them just because it's a chance to see – First chance you get to see the Reds before uh, things get serious. So I don't t- I don't take the results too seriously. Um, I just like seeing the interplay, seeing the build up, seeing how guys are getting along, uh, and hopefully no more injuries. So uh, so far so good. 
Good stuff. And who, uh, if you had to pick one player that stood out for you in preseason so far, who would you pick? Uh, for me, Carvalho. Uh, I think I think he's rather. I think he's very very interesting. I'm. I'm, I'm just, I really uh, can't wait to see what, how he's going to turn out this season. We've actually spoke on this show before, and we, none of us knew where he was going to be deployed. Are you happy enough with how he's how they're actually playing him? I think he's been listed as a forward player more so than a midfield player. Yeah, uh, he has, and he's he's mostly been working uh, in that area. But I don't, I still don't know that that's settled though. Um, as I could see, I could see him being rather useful, um, you know, a little bit further back, especially considering. Um, when I watch where uh, Nunez and how Nunez is up playing in the team, uh, he ends up creating a lot of space where a, ten, a person who's naturally inclined to play a 10 could kind of flow into because uh, Nunez, Nunez likes to stay high up. So, I mean, it's interesting like it, it, it's, it's to see how that's going to play out. Good stuff. And yourself, Matt, have you been enjoying preseason? Uh, very much so. Uh, it's always great when you score tons of goals, but like – just looking and charting each player's minutes and you can see that they're all just every game they get a few more minutes and now with them announcing this extra preseason behind closed doors game after our first Premier League game of the season like it just shows Klopp wants the entire squad to get 90 minutes in their legs the players that play on Saturday won't play on Sunday and then the same thing next weekend is that all of our players are going to be primed and ready to go for the season so like that's just been great because every game that you've watched there's been a noticeable improvement in like the cohesion of the team, like everybody's hitting their pressing triggers better. Like in the second half of the game yesterday, we just pressed the life out of them at moments. Like we we looked like we were in you know pretty good fighting form for uh, heading into the season. So good stuff. And Dan, we've uh, both experienced lots of preseasons. As preseasons go, how's it been for you? <laughs> um, to be fair, I mean I've not um, I've not watched any of the games because work's been absolutely manic, so I've not had the time. Um, I've just caught snippets of results, players playing in that position, this position, how we've done. Um, for me, pre-season is just about getting minutes in the legs, making sure we don't come away with any serious injuries and letting the management give players time, uh, you know, iron a few tweaks out if you want to, play a few players in different positions they wouldn't normally play or you wouldn't get the time. So, yeah, as long as we walk away from pre-season without any long-term injuries um, and we've got minutes in players' legs, then I'm, I'm happy. That, that's, that's all I look for. That didn't look too promising last night after about 20 minutes and there was a, at least a few uh, knee-high tackles going in from Salzburg. But look, mm. sure, look we'll, move, we'll move on to, um, to the, um, the points that we're going to debate tonight. So, first up, um, Matt... Um, and it's your topic was midfield goals. So basically, what we have been producing, what what we feel we should be producing going forward. So start off. What do you expect from the midfield this year compared to previous years? I I expect this upcoming season we're going to get roughly the same output we've gotten from our midfield in all of Klopp's seasons, and it will lead to. Anytime we get a result that doesn't go our way, people pinning it on that we don't have enough offensive threat coming forward from midfield. And I just don't think the team is set up for it. I I don't know if it's worth the risk of throwing off the balance of how our the majority of our attacks are built up coming through our fullbacks of trying to play a player that plays in that Bruno Fernandez role in that little floaty 10 role. Like it's the way our system is set up. So after the quiz, instead of going a little bit easier on it, I got into some weird stats and numbers, and I came across something called expected threat. Now, Gav, let the let the stream run. Let the stream run. <laughs> I don't buy into I don't buy into any of it at all. Like I don't like I don't think it's an ironclad thing that you can say this equals this. Like it's not quite like baseball in that regard. But statistics do still hold some value, right? And like they're using math behind it to aggregate it out. So. Expected threat last season, the top two players in the league were Trent and Mo. Next was Cancelo. Fourth was Rafinha. So those are the types. So the other non-Liverpool players, Kevin De Bruyne was ninth on this list. Robertson was 10th. You've got to go a long way down on that list to find where a midfielder comes in for Liverpool. 
but you also need to go pretty far down on that list to find anybody else's pair of fullbacks on that list is it, it seems like the way our team is set up, like Trent overproduces offensively from right back so much more than any and every other right back in the league that you need to have a more utilitarian midfield. We can't have a PSG, you know, a FIFA dream team where you can just have 99 superstars everywhere. You have to have people that are willing to put in that running. Like if you think of last year's Real Madrid team, Fede Valverde did dog's work in that midfield running around because Vinicius Jr. wasn't really tracking back or Benzema wasn't really tracking back or Rodrigo wasn't and Cruz and Modric are old and he's running around all over the place. We've got midfielders like Jeannie Wijnaldum, like Jordan Henderson, like James Milner for a reason. And that's just to facilitate it in there. So like, it's, it's a little tiresome because we've done all of our business in the window that the only thing that's left is this midfield question. And it's the thing that just keeps coming up over and over is we need more goals from midfield. We need more goals from midfield. But really, if you look at the number of goals we scored in pretty much every season under Klopp, it's, it's hard to demand more goals out of this team. So I just, I, I just don't think that's the way Liverpool's offense is created. So it's something we shouldn't uh, fascinate uh, over too much. Uh, for me, and I think I've said it on here and maybe in, in Telegram chats, for me, I think we're missing someone that's going to hit one from distance. Um, 20 what is that not goals. Trent? Is it not better to expect that? Because you look, Trent last year, two goals. Two goals. That's not enough goals from Trent. Robertson, three goals. The center halves all had three goals. We should be getting more goals from corners. We should be getting more goals from free kicks. Trent and Robertson need to start. Like They're getting into the positions. They're just not finishing. So like I think instead of expecting Naby Keita or Jordan Henderson to chip in with six, eight goals a year, it might be smarter to just expect our fullbacks to finish You know, a few more of those chances. I think Robertson probably is more guilty of it than Trent. He kind of seems to be presented with a lot more chances than Trent does. In terms of them actually scoring from distance, they're probably... You've got so you've got Mo, who's a left footer, who's playing on the right hand side. You'd kind of nearly need to switch them if you were going to be expecting them to cut inside to to strike a, a shot on goal. Twenty one goals, well, twenty two if you count Elliot as a midfielder, is what we got from midfield last year, um, in all competitions. Um, I'll go Three to penalties. you now, Dan. I'll go to you, Dan. Um, would you be expecting more from midfield, or should we be expecting more, or can we expect more from midfield? To be honest, no, I, I don't think we can, not with the makeup of the midfield we have. Um, you're looking at what we've got that have come in, so so maybe if Elliot gets his chance, you could probably look at him and say he could probably deliver maybe, I don't know, argument's sake, half a dozen goals in a season, but he needs to have a regular run of games. I'm not sure how many he's going to get. Um, Carvalho, I don't think is 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 that player. Yet. I don't think he's ready for that, and I certainly don't think he's going to play in that midfield three. For me, I think we're probably going to go with with probably a two, and then one maybe floating a bit further forward. So he could play in that position maybe, but no. I, for me, Emma, the, the midfield does exactly what it it should do. Um, it's a base. We have a lot of our work that goes down the flanks. That's where we create most of our chances. Um, and I think they're just there to sit, recycle the ball, make sure that we're not caught in transition quickly. And just like I say, just to give to give that platform for the, to the, the wide players and the, the dads up front and the two fullbacks to cause the problems. Because if you look at the midfield that we've got, Cater maybe the ones that we've got that you could probably say is creatively going to maybe get you a few goals to break the lines, but the rest of them they're not really that they're more functional than than off the cuff kind of players, if you like. Yeah, as Matt said, I think the three penalties you were talking about, Matt, they would have been Fabinho. So oh, Fabinho, um, yeah, he had that great stretch in January, February where he just yeah. kept scoring. I, Eight goals, so take away, so no, none of the midfielders scored any more than four, or any more than five, sorry. Um, Ron, um, what's your opinion on the midfield? And what's, 
Oh, are you with the with Matt and Dan in terms of and I and I get what you're saying there, Dan, and it makes an, an awful lot of sense in yourself as well, Matt. That the kind of our midfield are more there to kind of fill the gaps for when Robbo and Trent go forward. So, to Matt's point, if we're not going to get more from the midfield, should we be getting more out of Robbo and Trent in terms of goals? I mean, look, their assists in in bagfuls, but should they also be chipping in with goals? Uh, so I would address. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take the the Trent and Robbo point first. Um, I would say yes, and I think when you said Robbo's more guilty, I, I agree with that. Uh, and it's not just because he's presented with chances; he's often presented with sitters or damn near sitters. So it's like <laughs> we need you to put that one in, Robbo. <laughs> I mean, you're professional. You're a professional player. Like you're 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 five yards out. Like come on, like. We we you we could use a bit of that, um, but you know what he brings. He's got he's got credit in the bank, so no one's gonna hurt him too much. Uh, to the second point, though, uh, I actually do think while I while I do think the midfield is functioning as intended, I kind of I, I I take homage with what I take I take on what you were trying to say a little bit earlier. I think I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you were going down the roads of uh, shots from distance, um, and I think. Well, I don't. I'm not saying we need to score more of those. We definitely need to carry more of a threat um, yeah. because, you know, nine times out of ten during the in the Premier League season, we're going to be faced with teams who want to sit back. Uh, they want they're, they're they want to sit back, and you know, us trying to cut them down the flanks. They expect that to happen. Um, we're not pulling, and it's hard for us to pull guys out of position in the middle of the park because we're not taking shots. So they know they don't have to close that down. They can stay in shape. They don't, they're not too worried about you know, the random pop from, you know, 35 yards. Um, and you can say, well, that's because we want to keep ball retention, keep, keep recycling it, and that's what the middle is trying to do. And I understand that, that uh, the logic of that, but you do need to keep them honest. Um, so I would like uh, that to be there. Now, you also have to have guys playing that have the quality to do it. I would argue we do on most, on most games, but um, a few more wouldn't hurt. Good stuff. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I'm not not expecting them to even. I mean, maybe Jones when he plays will will be somebody, but you kind of seen that he kind of nearly taken that out of his game. The the shooting uh, on yeah. the side. Um, but we do. I, I just feel that we do need. And for your point, what you said there is that at this moment in time, we're we're not known for shooting from distance for whatever reason it is. If it's a tactical reason. But teams know that they just need to line up across the eighteen yard box, and we have to try and kind of pick a hole in the defence to try and score. That's the That seems to be the only way we can score. Whereas if you have a threat from distance who's going to take a pop every now and again, they will kind of break the line to, to get somebody to come out and rush and try and block them down. And look, when you take a shot, if a keeper spills it, we're going to have people in there to, to, to snap them up as well. And we're really good at winning the ball back up high. So even if they do win the, back, the ball back, I just think it's, it's like you said, uh, Ron, it's, it's to present more of a threat than anything else. Um, rather than having someone sticking them in from 25 yards every other game. Um, but look, um, I would be, we're split kind of nearly down the middle, so Dan and Matt on one side, Ron and Emmett on the other side. Um, maybe a nice little segue into Ron's uh, point uh, or topic is uh, the Bobby Firmino issue, or Bobby Firmino situation, sorry. Um, linked with uh, Juventus, um, by all means, well, if you listen to what Klopp said, uh, I think it was today, um, he's gone absolutely nowhere. Um, I'm delighted. He's my favourite player in the club era or uh, the last six, seven, eight years. Um, could he be, and I, I, I don't know whether it's the romantic in me, they want to keep him in the team. Could we possibly see Bobby dropping into the midfield and be this person who can get these goals from midfield? But in terms of your topic, um, Ron, Bobby Firmino, yeah, so that, so there's it's two parts to it. Uh, one, you, and without Essa really talking about it much in the chat, you kind of hit on my second point. Uh, one is, you know, what is it? You know, before it was just the links with Juventus. Before they start actually put a, a number valuation out there uh, of what people are kind of boomering it, the number the offer might end up being if they were to make an offer. Um, and does so the question number one is, you know, four twenty million. Um, 31-year-old guy, last year of his contract, do you take it? 
I mean, if you, if you if you stop to think about the fact that it's not, if you take the fact that it's Bobby out of that scenario, I would imagine most people would say, eh, you probably should. It probably makes a whole lot of sense, but because it's Bobby, and because you know, I would say most Liverpool fans have um, an adoration of the guy. It makes it a little bit harder to 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 to. to to go go through that analysis and come down, you know, one way or another, because your heart definitely says, you know, it's up to Bobby. If he wants to stay, you keep him in the in the discussion. But uh, you know, the guys who have the job, the 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 big chairs at LFC, they've they've got a little bit more to think about when it comes to that. Um, so I would put that question out to you to to the team to see what and to the chat to see how everybody feels. Uh, and then second, you know, if you are going to keep them. Uh, you know, where's where do you think he's best deployed? Do you think we keep him at we keep the traditional front three going? Do you let him do you let him and Nunez develop some sort of partnership naturally and see how that works? You know, there, there's a lot of different ways for this to to go. Um and I don't I, I honestly don't know what's best, you know, because we've got the community show coming up, look uh, coming up. Looks like Bobby's gonna be leading the line on that. And you know, there's there could be a lot of reasons for that. Um, but Nunez, for all intents and purposes, does offer something completely different. Which way should we go? Um, so my personal opinion is to keep him, um, and to let him find his way in how we play. Um, I think he's earned the right to do that, and I think he's good enough to do that tactically, um, and skillfully. And then see where we go from there. But I wanted to get everybody else's sense on how that might how that might work out. Cool. My opinion is I I wouldn't take the twenty million uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I think he still has a, a part to play. Um, I think with the Jota situation, um, we don't know how long he's going to be out for. So, and I think that there are a few in the chat saying to to let him go at this stage. Um, would be crazy. Um, and in terms of where do you play him or where do you deploy, deploy him, we've seen during the preseason games, you've got Elliot or Cavallo trying to play Nunez in and the ball is uh, kind of maybe bouncing off him or they're not finding that perfect ball. Could Bobby be the person to slide Nunez in for these balls? He just wants to play on the shoulder, run off the shoulder of players. Bobby could be ideal for, for sliding those ball in, balls into him. Matt, your opinion on Bobby would we accept an offer or should we accept an offer? And if not, where do we deploy him or what kind of a role does he have to play this season? Yeah, it's a hard nose for me all around. Uh, you know, I think going into the summer, even, you know, at the tail end of the season, people talking about contracts coming up with the big three all kind of coming down to their last year. It always seemed like the consensus for most people was extend one, one runs out, sell one. And that seems to be exactly what's panned out. We've sold Sadio. Bobby's going to run his last year down and we've extended most contracts. So like, I, I didn't think there was any chance of him going and Kevin Sullivan made a really good point in the chat saying they just spent huge money on Blavich. Like Bobby's not going to go to Juventus and be the number one starter, you know? So uh, the whole thing didn't make sense uh, where he'll be deployed. I, I really like the idea of like legacy building from within the team of having a good strong group of leaders in the team that have been there done it that know what it means to be a Liverpool player to pass that on to the next generation you know it's it's a it's a boot room kind of idea like I, I'm a, I, I really believe in that I think that's a really I it's something that winning teams seem to have you know if you can set up a dynasty you look at the New England Patriots you don't think that there were guys there like Teddy Bruschi and stuff like that that might not have been the best player in the world but boy, they sure made everybody else around them that much better. So, and I think Bobby Firmino is going to fill that role for us. You know, he speaks the same language as Fabio Cavario. You know, you could possibly see Fabio taking up that role that Bobby had, you know, four or five years ago playing that almost positionless sort of number nine position. Uh, yeah, I think he's just too good. He's too important. And, you know, we don't want to leave ourselves short. Everybody's saying we need a midfielder when we've got eight people, you know, we've already lost three forwards in one summer and, you don't want to lose, you know, a fifth one. So, but, uh, you know, Bobby's got a role to play. There's also a, a major spot open in terms of the fans' favorite, like, cult hero currently at the team with Divock Origi gone, you know. That, that title is there to take for somebody. And 
all it takes is a couple of big goals. You know, Bobby comes on as a late substitute in the charity shield and bags the winners, you know, sort of thing. And, you know, we could, we could all be really remembering good times, Bobby Firmino this year. Good stuff. Um, Dan, so um, would you let him go? Um, I think it's probably going to be a resounding no, but um, would you let him go? And does he, does he take up this position in the team? Like Matt says, this legacy building and, is he kind of taking somebody under his wing? And if so, do we have the Bobby replacement already in the squad? And who do you think that is? Um, I don't think we've got a Bobby replacement within the squad because what he has done um, for the team is, is you could look around Europe and you could try and maybe find a replacement. But if somebody, for example, like Juventus coming in and say, we'll give you 25 million, even at 50 million pounds, you're not, you're not buying a Bobby replacement for 50 million pounds. It's costing you north of that and pretty much, you know, 75 million, even north of that. Um, not to mention that he's, he's, he's ingrained in the, the system, the way the clock works, the way that the, the, the squad works. Is the ultimate professional. Um, there'd be no way that I would be selling Bobby Firmino, even at the start of the summer. If you would have asked me, I would have said no. You know, the fact that it's near enough the beginning of August and somebody's coming knocking on the door, you know, not a chance, not a chance that I'm selling Bobby Firmino. He does things that nobody in our squad can replicate. He's that perfect false nine. Teams have looked at how we have played them front free in the last four or five years and said, how can we replicate that? What can we do to bring players in that can do exactly the same as what Bobby does, Mo does, Mane did? And, you know, they've, they've all tried, but there isn't one. There isn't another Bobby Firmino out there. And I wouldn't want to take Bobby Firmino out of that squad that we have now, knowing that we have Jota injured, we've lost Mane, and then we've bought Darwin Nunes, who's going to need he's going to need some bedding in time. And yes, he plays a, a different role. He's a nine, a conventional nine, I suppose, if you like, compared to a false nine. But Bobby's that he's that buffer. If Darwin's not really firing and Josh is still injured, he's your man to just drop into that position. And you can say. We'll give Jota a few weeks. We'll give Darwin a few weeks and we'll see how he, he beds. But we've got this man here. So, no, not a chance. I'll be getting rid of him. And, what is, and do you see him? What kind of a role in the team do you see him playing? Do you see him playing much this year? Or? Um, yeah, I, I think because of the five subs and the fact that the season's so condensed, he will, he will play a major part in that first what is it? I think it's 16 league games, six Champions League, and, and maybe is it one cup? I can't remember exactly the numbers. But he will he will have a, a big say in that first part. Um, and, and as I said, the fact that there's five subs, you can bring him off with, or you can bring him on, so to say, with, with 20, 25 to go. Or you can start him and bring him off with, with 20, 25 left. And you're getting enough minutes in his legs. I think he'll still play a fairly big part in this season. Um, after the World Cup who knows because he'll probably go to the World Cup with Brazil we don't know exactly how much game time he'll get there um, I think he's still quite quite a permanent fixture in their squad I'm not, I'm not too sure but yeah I think first half of the season he will, he will play a massive part and that's that's the reason why there's, there's no chance I'd get rid of him and he's a legend anyway so an absolute legend, um, Ron. Um, just with um, it's, it was Bobby's your uh, point there. Do you see him remaining in the position, or like I've, I've suggested in the past, that maybe he could be somebody that's deployed more in midfield rather than up top? I uh, mean, he could be deployed. He could be deployed in defence. Uh, he's like a Swiss Army player. I, 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 I'd say if you if you check the defensive headers. Of some defenders in the Premier League, I'd say Firmino probably has better stats than some of them. But um, do you see him changing position, or is it going to be like Dan said, it, more so the, the five subs, an impact sub to come on? What a sub to have, by the way. Um, or do you see him maybe a, a role changing in the team or a positional change? Uh, I'd have to say I think 
Dan's idea is most likely um, the five sub, uh, either having him start a game and, and come off with 20 to go or bring brought on with 25, 20 to go. Um, the, the more, the, the other thing that it's very tempting, although I don't think it's likely, but it's, it's very tempting because it's the one thing you're always kind of curious to see, which is Bobby in a 10, which would require a change of formation. Um, and it's a very tempting one because, you know, we have, we have so many pieces that look like they fit perfectly into that, um, especially going forward. Uh, but it doesn't seem like. I haven't seen too much of it this preseason, so I don't know if it's really something that's on Cop's mind. Doesn't seem like it, uh, but very, it's very, very tempting to think about. Very, very tempting. Would that mean that that mean a change to Matt's formation? Is it three at the back? Three at the back, baby. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. You just play Joel, Ibu, and Virgil at the back, and you let everybody else go buck wild. Uh, Matt, do you see a change of position at all? I know I've, I've seen a few in uh, in the chat saying that he probably doesn't have the legs for midfield, um, but it would be more so at the, the kind of the top of the midfield, like you said, run a 10, or even if it is a change of a formation to a 4-2-3-1, um, you could see him maybe fitting in, in the, the middle of the tree uh, behind Nunes. Do you see a change for Bobby, or will it be a case of time from the bench? And... Is a player like Firmino happy with just time from the bench? Or is he somebody, I know he's 31 or 30, 31. Does he want to be playing more regularly? Um, or do you think he's happy enough with the, with the part he's got to play? Look, they're going to, please God, play another 60-odd games again this year. So mm-hmm. he's going to have plenty, plenty of game time. But um, do you see a positional uh, change? And is he happy with, with playing the odd time here and there? I mean, to that, you know, how he feels about it, everything is going to be hearsay. But it being, if you just look at how he sacrificed his own potential glory for the team, like the one last year where he has an open net and passes to Minamino to have the tap in, you know, like they're both trying to give each other the goal. Like he seems like the type of player that kind of understands that, you know, we got a good group of Brazilians there. Hopefully all their ladies are friends, you know, like hopefully all their wives are friends and their kids go to the same school. Like hopefully all those things are working in our favor. Uh, you know, four, two, three, one position change, anything like that. Like the, just thinking about it and I threw it in the chat talking about Bobby as a sub of like, Oh my, like what it, that is just such a perfect game changer, regardless of the game state that we're in, whether you're winning or losing, or, you know, it's on a knife's edge. You feel like you're under the cost. You can bring Bobby in and he's just going to know what to do, but if you bring him in and you go to a kind of a 4-2-4 situation and you think about him and Darwin up top playing as split strikers, but instead of splitting left and right, one drops and the other one goes. Because one thing from the preseason that I would say has been pretty obvious is that Darwin Nunez wants to go forward. Darwin Nunez wants to get on his bike and he wants those passes around the corner, whereas Bobby, you know, is always shown for the ball. So you play them as a pair and Bobby can drop and Darwin can go. And you think about some of the passes that can, you know, be hooked around the corner. Some of those great Bobby moments, you know, his assist against Southampton, Newcastle, where he just does some sort of line dancing maneuver and all of a sudden the whole line is broken and we're off. So, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's exciting. It's because it feels like we, I mean, and I'm buying into it. I mean, we're so close to the season now. My my optimism level is at 100%. Like, it, it couldn't be higher. It's 103 points I think we can take this season. It's I feel fantastic. And I always do. Like, why not? If you're going into the season, you may as well feel good about it. So, it's I. it seems like the team's really gelling up nicely. You know, there hasn't been a lot of hiccups in the preseason. Everything's gone pretty as much to plan as Klopp and Coca to hope for. So, it's happy days get into it. And just something that I heard recently, you know, the first league cup game isn't until the 8th and 9th of November this year. I, I was guilty of being like, oh, maybe we'll see Calvin Ramsey in the first league cup game. We still might. He might be back from his injury in time for that. But it's uh, it's a real delayed start to the league cup this year because of all the Champions League congestion, I believe. So, or something along those lines. It's such a It's such a strange season. So... Let's stay on that point for a second. Uh, Dan, are we getting 103 points this year? <laughs> Won't put it past us. <laughs> Won't put it past us, to be fair. If, uh, if City are up for the fight, then um, it's usually a bit of a, it's, it's a straight shootout, isn't it, between those and them. I mean, we, they push us on, we push them on. That's that's where the, the bar has been set the last three or four years that um, 
apart from obviously the anomaly, which was a season we we had no players. But yeah, we, we've set the bar so high, and, and they've just they've done exactly the same. But um, yeah, it'd be nice. I think 103 wins in the league. <laughs> Good, um... Ron, anybody break the monopoly of the top two City and Liverpool this year? And there was an awful lot of talk going on about Spurs and how they've spent and they've spent all right. They've brought players in. I'm not too sure on the, the quality of those players, but does anybody break the top two this year? I don't see it. Um, you know, Spurs, Spurs have done, Spurs have made a lot of moves, a lot of quality moves that, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, I would, I would think are great for them. Uh, but the gap that they have to make up to catch us or City is just way too big. Um, it, you know, even though even though we drew with every top six side last 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 season, I don't see head to head. I don't see I don't see Spurs uh, being that being any more dangerous than they already already were. If that makes sense, even though even though they did even though they did strengthen their squad, I think that strengthening of their squad is is more about you know, having a better, having a stronger bench for them. I don't, I don't know that it really changes much um, in their starting 11. So um, not really, not, not for me. No, I don't think so either. Uh, I do think Spurs will do well. All right. But maybe not, not as well, uh, not uh, good enough to basically break uh, Liverpool and City. Um, I think it'll, they, they could push for third, I think. Um, and maybe squeeze Chelsea down at the fourth. For sure, we, we will see. Dan, on to your topic. Uh, Dr. Andreas Schlumberger. Um, for anybody that doesn't know who um, Andreas is, can you uh, let everybody know who he is? Yep. So um, I did a, a bit of diving into um, Lovely. what he does um, and his uh, background. So he was... We uh, we employed him. I think it was the late twenty twenty or very early twenty twenty one as head of recovering performance. Um, I remember at the time when we uh, when we announced that I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, it makes sense given the fact that we have we'd already lost Virgil, Matip. I think had gone by then. We'd lost Gomez. Um, that was just a centre back. So I can't even remember who else, had, you know, was on the sidelines by that point. But it made perfect sense um, to bring in somebody that was basically going to be in charge of this player comes back from injury at this date. This is when I get hold of him, and this is when I do my work. So I make sure that everything is right before he can, he can basically go back into full training. And that seems to have been his job. Um, he's got uh, an impressive CV. He's worked with Klopp before at Dortmund. Um, he was there for four years. Um, he's worked at Bayern, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, we kind of stole him from Schalke because they had financial issues, which allowed us to go in and, and, and steal him from them. Um but basically, he has uh, a very, very close relationship with Andreas Kornmeyer, uh, who is uh, head of uh, f- uh, fitness, and Lee Nobes, who is head of uh, physiotherapy. So it's basically a, a day-to-day meeting with them to to understand, more importantly, the players' loads at that time. So Jota, for example, for argument's sake, um, played Saturday, light session Sunday, or didn't train Sunday. Then Monday, we're going to do X, Y, and Z with him. Um, this player's got this, you know, this slight knock. So he's, you know, I want to try and um, bore people with it, but his his role is uh, is actually massive. Um, Klopp has spoken on, on numerous occasions about the fact that we can't compete with City, Chelsea. Obviously, now it'll be Newcastle. Uh, United in terms of that, the finances for, for players. So we have to think outside the box and that includes keeping your biggest players or your best players fit and available more often than anybody else. Um, so his job is, is to do that. His, his um, stats um, that he has are, are pretty impressive. I'll go into them in a minute, but um, 
a lot of people, uh, Van Dyke, um, Joe Gomez, um, Harvey Elliott, Diego Jota of all Diego Jota, sorry, have all spoke glowingly about his appreciation for their individual um, schedules, if you like, and making sure that he knows exactly what their body can absorb and take in in terms of recovery and the, the next stages of the physiotherapy and the strength and conditioning. But I looked at um, some of the numbers yesterday, last night, in terms of the players that we've we've had on our books, obviously, and who have been known for missing games. Joel Matic, for example, 2019-2020, uh, he misses 27 games and is out of the team for a total of 118 days. 2020-2021, which is when uh, Andreas came in, he missed 38 games, a total of 226 days. Go to next uh, last season, and Joel Matip missed two games, totaling 10 days. That's just that's just one player. I mean, Cater was the same. 2020-2021 um, season, misses 23 games, total of 97 days. Last season, misses eight games, total of 48 days. So you can see, when when you, you look into it and, and delve into it deeper, you can see that what he's doing um, is bearing fruit. And Matip, for me, last season was a perfect example. Um, even Oxlade-Chamberlain was, we didn't see him very often. But, but he was, he was available. Pretty much in, yeah, he was available for most match squads. He just wasn't on the bench. Um and he was promoted uh, July of this year um, to head of medicine and fitness. Um, from what I've read, he's basically got more of a say um, in terms of our uh, uh, strength and conditioning work and what we do pre and post game, uh, individual programs, et cetera, et cetera. So he's very, very astute at that kind of thing. And, um, Klopp has basically said that in terms of what he does, uh, and in 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 Germany, he is he is number one, the best of what he does. And I think we we can see with what he has done um, in the last probably eighteen months. He was also uh, very influential in um, an appointment that we've only just made, which was a person called Vanden wheel I've absolutely butchered his name, but um, he's basically been brought in as head of uh, osteopath, osteopathy, um, which is um, preventative work. So stretching, um, moving, massages, muscles, joints, all that kind of stuff. And we're actually the first club, um, by the sounds of it, in Europe to have somebody in that role. There's nobody else that has that role. Yeah. defined within their within their club structure so we are the first one and he was a massive massive advocate of bringing that person in or, or finding somebody to do that part of the job so yeah his his work behind the scenes probably doesn't get picked up by people outside of the club because they don't really and they wouldn't do why would you but people within the club and obviously see that he's made an absolute he's made a huge difference to, to our fitness levels uh, post and pre-injury, uh, post and pre him coming in. Yeah, and, and Lazo says it there uh, in the in the chat, and I'm sure probably others have as well, um, that football these days is insane, the amount of games that players are, are expected to play, the, the timing in between games um, um, is getting shorter. I mean, last last season we looked to be we were playing games every three days, um, but that's the way football and sports in general is going. All this um, sports scientists, etc., and like you kind of touched on there, Dan, that you you can nearly expect that club nearly gets a timetable to say this is what such and such is doing. He'll be ready to play again on Tuesday, and um, you see people's heads falling off when they have an open training session and such and such isn't training, but. We, we've said on this show and and, and, and Fatback 4, etc., that um, there are a lot of players that are actually on their own individual um, recovery plans. So they could be in on a bike yeah. or they could yeah. be on a treadmill rather than out on the pitch. Um, how important is somebody like this? Um, I'll go to you, Matt. Um, and actually, and thanks, Dan, for doing the 
given us all uh, kind of an insight into it because when you first mentioned this topic, I thought it was the lad that did the throw-ins. So uh, up until about an hour ago when I checked it. So <laughs> um, I didn't know who just, he was. Just so there before, you go. Sorry, apologies for butting in. Just no, before I, I um, let that go to Matt, he, we, we looked at him, or Klopp should I say, looked at getting him in in 2017. We couldn't do it for, I think he was probably at Dortmund at the time or, or Bayern, I can't remember which one it is now. Um, but one of the reasons why uh, Klopp wanted to get him in um, in, the, in the, well, a couple of years ago when he wanted to get him in was because he had one eye on the World Cup in Qatar and he knew that there was going to be a condensed block, if you like, of games. And this is one of the reasons why Klopp's we need to get this guy in. So, you know, thanks to him as well for, for getting the man in to, um, to do what he's doing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And 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 so and that's a, another great point is that this year is a kind of a, an anomaly that the World Cup is actually mid-season. So not only are we hopefully going to play sixty odd games, we're going to have a, a large chunk of the squad will be going away to a World Cup. So in sports yeah. these days, not just football, man. How important is somebody like um, Andreas, Doctor Andreas? I'm I'll call him by his first name to avoid embarrassment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it goes so like. That's a copy of our chief nutritionist book. Yet somebody saw at a bookstore that had me for Christmas this year and had a Liverpool on it. They knew I'd like it. So like it's, we managed to build now, obviously I don't know anything about anybody else's backroom staff. Cause why would I pay attention to another team's backroom staff? But I've started to like, because Klopp's had that core group of people that have been around and they've just kept adding people. So like Mona Nemmer, they poached her from Bayern. You know, Klopp liked what she was doing, went to the owners and said, we want to get this. Like, this is what it's going to cost. Go and get her. And, you know, Ron, you might understand this as well, too, of like, we have baseball owners. The guys that own Liverpool own a baseball team and load management and like making sure the guys don't break down too much. Your most valuable assets in baseball are your starting pitchers. And you do not want to break one of those horses down. So they get managed very, very carefully. And when the doctor says they're good to go, they're good to go. And like you're seeing it now a lot in the NFL. Uh, it's not coming to hockey. One of the top hockey players was asked about load management, you know, game management in hockey. And Brad Marchand said, like, get that soft shit out of here. This isn't a pussy sport or something like that. So, you know, hockey players are still refusing to accept that you can't be playing at the level that they're playing at, you know three times a week sort of thing. Like it's physiologically, it's, it's not good for the asset, I guess would be the business speak way of looking at it. Like these are billionaires that own a baseball team. They are going to want to carefully manage their assets. And you know what? I'm fine with it because one of our biggest assets just signed a new contract. And if he can stay fit, he could become our top goal scorer ever. So like, I love the fact that they're being like the coaching staff is getting expanded and they're adding on these specialist niche, you know, Throw-in coach. How many fans were laughing at us for having a throw-in coach? Emmett, you watched the game. I don't know if, Dan, if you caught the game. We had a throw-in routine that we've now run twice, and the one time it got us a penalty against Crystal Palace. It was a throw-in where Henderson ran underneath it, flicked it over his head, and Luis Diaz was coming in, bursting in behind him. It's a set play because we have a throw-in coach. It's the sort of thing that teams, all teams, top teams, are going to be doing in 10 years. You know, the thing with the Neuro 11 thing with all the wires on Trent's head? 10, 15 years, all the top teams will be doing that. This is just what the cutting edge looks like. And some of it might be bunk and not work, but a lot of that stuff is just going to become regular, common medical science and sports in 10, 15 years. So, who well, I mean, even, even the way Trent throws the ball, I'm not sure if anybody noticed that he kind of has one hand more so. It's nearly more like a basketball spin, throw at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spin on it. Yeah. Um, but, um, Ron, in terms of how vital this uh, the the doctor and the recovery uh, team behind the scenes are going to be how important they're going to be this this season. It's it's almost like Matt says we're doing it. It's the cutting edge. Everybody will have it. They'll be wearing those neuro things in the Leinster Senior League in ten years time. Um, but how important is this guy going to be this year to us? I mean, uh, you know, the whole time Dan was giving his rundown on Doctor Schlumberger, um, the only thing I could th- keep thinking. Uh, was Joel Matip. That if he's responsible for the minutes we got out of Joel Matip, he paid for himself tenfold just just on that player alone in terms of value. I mean, you know, and the way I like to think about it is, 
you know, this is something we were, they, when I played football, well, American football in college, this is something that they were always honest about um, is, you know, making sure you report things, even though you you actually want to be on the field as much as you can, because you don't want to lose your spot. But um, the way I like to put it is in terms of thinking about how this stuff is important is if you think of any physical activity you do, right? Instinctively, you know, if you did something strenuous today, you probably shouldn't do it again tomorrow. So you take the time off, right? But what if you don't have the option to take tomorrow off? How on earth are you going to get ready to do what you need to do and perform the way you need to perform if you if, if you don't have the time to take off? You need a guy like this doctor, Dr. Schlumberger, to tell you how to get your body ready so that you can do whatever it is you need to do the next time you have to perform, wherever your time constraints are. So it's almost it is literally invaluable to have somebody that knows what they're doing and is at the top of and, ha- and have people at the top of that game because. You know, you're talking about, you know, even on the, on the pitch, we talk about it being a game of centimeters. You know, go think back to that city that city game where it barely crossed the line. You know, if it's that away on the field, it's just it's equally in percentages, small percentages off the field too. Can you can you recover that one percent faster, that two percent faster? Can you do it by using this technique, uh, using these exercises, using this this amount of time, or or doing more, you know, 10% more rest, all of that plays into it. And these guys know how to max, maximize that formula. Um, and it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the players are only short of being androids these days. I think I mean, they're actual machines and, and they need to be finely tuned. And someone said earlier on in, in the chat that the days of the magic sponge is gone. And I was only thinking that myself and the days of Bob Paisley carrying Emlyn Hughes off the pitch out of the jockey back, you're not going to definitely not going to see that kind of stuff these days. So it is great. And I think hopefully this year, especially with the, the World Cup, um, we are definitely going to be needing that recovery. Um, the, the games will come thick and fast uh, this year as well. I think, I think the World Cup is only over about a week. And we're back on Stevens's day or Boxing Day um, for a game against. I think my, it's not Leicester. I can't remember who it's against. Um, <laughs> it just yesterday. feels like it has to be Leicester, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh, I think it might be. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure who it is. I think it might be Aston Villa. Um, but um, yeah, I think that this season alone, and like you said, Dan, that Klopp said, or it's thought that Klopp brought him in because of this season being so condensed and. Yeah. Uh, I think we stop. I think uh, the season finishes on uh, I think it's the eighth of November or something like that uh, for the World Cup, and then we're back again then on the twenty sixth. And players that go there, if successful, let's let's face it, a lot of our players play for for um, um, the kind of more um, higher ranked countries, and they mm-hmm. may go the distance. And if they're going the distance, they, they could be playing. Anything? How many group games do they play? Four group games or three group games? Then into quarterfinals, sure, yeah, last sixteen. Yeah, three group games, yeah. quarterfinal, semifinal, final possibly. So they're squeezing that into the space of a month. So there is no kind of a, a break uh, for the players. So I think um, Dr. Andreas and his team will be extremely busy this year and just delighted to have them and great to learn so much about them as well um, from Dan. So thanks for that. Go on, Dan. Um, All right, no, I was no. just going to say that um, because of the season the way it is, he... And the rest of that that backroom staff are probably looking at it. It's not a conventional season where you say, "This is preseason, so we'll, we'll we'll load all the players up and we'll expect them to hit a peak at this time of the season." Or after ten games, we'll see that they are progressing well. You, you you've kind of like got to look at the season and say, "Well, it's it's a block of two. So, do you want to have a normal preseason with all the players and get them to that loading position, ready for that?" point in the season or are we just doing X, Y and Z to get them up to that week of the season, like the first 16 games for example, I can't really explain them in that in that layman's terms but yeah, it, it must be all clubs are obviously having that, that same scenario but he's probably looking at it a bit differently and saying well, 16 games we need to do things differently with pre-season, we need to do maybe X, Y and Z differently and, and also with the players Look at the likes of Van Dyke played what sixty games was it last season after an ACL? Um, uh, Van Dyke played fifty-one games. 
51, I think, according to this. Maybe I haven't updated. Question for you, Dan. He's he's obviously looking at him. Yes, go on, Matt. Do you thinking like that? Do you do you expect us to come out of the blocks just full speed? Because that's kind of what it seems like with the ramping up of preseason. Like you're slowly feathering an engine in, and we're ready. Like when you're taking off a plane, like they're ready to just jammer all the way forward now, because you've got that yeah, condensed well, schedule that every, you get that six week break, six weeks. Like, yeah, I, I think so. I, I've looking at or reading in between the lines of the double sessions, sometimes triple sessions that the, the, the squad have been been put through the paces. It looks like he's looking at the season in two blocks. So he's going to hit the first 16 games with this amount of players. And then the next 16 games or however many are left after that uh, second part of the season, 22, um, we'll, we'll do that and we'll deal with that after post-World Cup, I suppose, and we'll see who we've got. But I think they are looking at that. Uh, very much so. Uh, I, I don't see that he's. Uh, I think he's looking at trying to say, "Well, there's no room for error these first sixteen. We've just got to fly out of the blocks and just go for it." And that's why we've loaded these players in preseason with double and triple sessions. I think that's why some of them were, were supposedly leggy against um, uh, Leipzig. Is it Leipzig Salzburg the other day? Um, uh, all uh, the games, sure. the players have looked leggy at points. Yeah. Yeah, because we've we've absolutely overloaded them in training. Yeah, they probably they probably had a session first thing in the morning, then the afternoon, then they were playing their matches in the evening. So I think uh, the yeah. the game that Nunes, uh, I think it was the when they came on with the it was the last thirty. Uh, I think they had done. Somebody had said that they had done three sessions that day. They felt that his lungs were on fire after two sprints when he came onto the pitch. Uh, Ron, you were trying to come in there. Um, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask if you guys think it's kind of interesting that City might seems to be taking a little bit of a different approach in that they've got their, their preseason is a little bit more limited in terms of games, um, especially leading up to our game. You know, the Community Shield on the weekend. So uh, I'm just wondering if, how everybody feels about about that. I mean, you know, it's not a topic that we just wanted to bring up <laughs> that we didn't have. We, to can, we can talk about. We, we can add topics. Let's go. But uh, go but uh, you know. How, you know, I, you know, I know feelings vary about the relevance of the community shield, but do you think it's interesting, you know, how to see how the two approaches might play out given in that in that game, given that, you know, they've taken they haven't uh, focused on, you know, matches as opposed in the preseason as we've had a rather condensed build up uh, with that. And what do you guys think that how you think I think that's going to affect the game or, you know, the start of the season? I I thought I found it really unusual that they I think they they'll have played two preseason games before the Community Shield. Um, yeah. And I thought it was I I don't want to say getting getting hopes up, but it was kind of like oh my god they might start slow. And I think City historically start slow. Um, and then I was I can't remember was uh, was listening to a podcast last night and they were saying that Pep. Is historically likes to spend more time on the training pitch with players rather than um, playing preseason friendlies. Not just at City, it's been in previous roles as well. But um, I kind of have it in my head, uh, Ron, and I'm glad you kind of even said it that they might be a bit, they might be a bit rusty, and um, they've not kind of played together like they do have to change. They, they, they ha- I know Haaland scored a very Man City goal uh, on his debut, but. Um, I do think that they have to change the style of play. So can you change that just on the training ground? I, I don't think so. They don't have an easy game, first game either. It's I think it's a way to West Ham. Um, yeah. So for me, it's unusual. Um, Kev O'Sullivan said in the, in the chat earlier on that he doesn't think that we have that many players going to the World Cup anyway. Uh, it's, I'm nearly sure that's what I read. No, uh, we probably don't. definitely don't have as many as City, which I also think not only is the start kind of disrupted, but They've also got a disruption in the middle. We every team is going to be disrupted in the middle of it, but some more than others. And they'll have an awful lot of players going to the World Cup, um, and that could impact them as well. So, how quickly do they get going um, when they come back uh, after Christmas? I'm not sure how you feel on it, Matt. With the kind of stunted preseason, I've never thought about it. Yeah, I I I try not to think about Manchester City because they're a nothing club. (laughs) Uh, but when you think about when when you think about when City puts their foot down to win a title, it's 
December, January, February, and they go on a 14-game winning streak. You know, it happens pretty much every year. You get into that condensed part of the season. You start getting up into the festive season. The games are coming all the time. Pep has his players perfectly drilled, and now that's all going to get blown up. So I hope that it is disastrous for them. I hope that not having that continuity. He hasn't thought about this much at all, Ron, has he? <laughs> well, I just, I just as you were thinking now, just as you were thinking now, like, it, but it, like, it really, it, it could be really disruptive to what they're doing because they're going to have a lot of players go to the World Cup, a lot, like the majority of their players. So that's six weeks that you know. Dr. Andreas Schlumberger has got guys like Luis Diaz and Mo Salah in ice baths and getting electroshock therapy to get them ready for the second <laughs> half of the season, whereas their guys are going full tilt. So, you know, they're not going to be practicing. Like, I can't imagine that our guys are going to go on a, what, more than a week vacation? The players that aren't going to the World Cup before Klopp has them in some sort of mini training camp? You know, it's not like we're going to be taking – the players that we have that aren't going to the World Cup are not taking a six-week holiday – They'll get a few, you know, maybe a week or two off, and then they will be right back to it. So, yeah, we could be very well poised to hit the ground running twice, having this big break in the middle. And yeah, hopefully, it really, it really makes fucking Pep's piss boil, and he absolutely loses it this season and decides he doesn't want to do this anymore and goes away. <laughs> Dan, do you read much into the, the kind of the shortened preseason? Like, it's a shortened preseason for everybody. Don't get me wrong; we normally play seven, eight games, like, uh, but City would only having two. And then obviously the preseason friendly on Saturday for the Charity Shield. Um, do you make anything or do you read anything into it or do you read anything into how they'll be after the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they've only played two two preseason games is, is a bit of a strange one, to be fair, especially when you're trying to get players back up to speed and he knows exactly what the season's going to entail. He knows that there's going to be a sprint to the first finish of the season, if you like, to that midway point. Um, and then post-World Cup, who knows what kind of scenarios we're all going to have to deal with. Pet might come back uh, post-World Cup and have four or five players out for two or three, four weeks. And and that's all you need, really, to, to knock you out of your rhythm again and you're, you're struggling. Man City, as we know, don't have a massive squad. And, and Pep doesn't like to, to carry a massive squad. He never has. Never did at City. He hasn't done at City. Never did at Barton. Never did at Bayern. Likes a small, close-knit squad. That's going to create its own issues in terms of players available for him for that first and second half of the season. But, yeah... I see why people say he, he likes to try and put his ideas across on the training pitch. And I, I can see that point to some extent, but you know, you haven't the, the opposition that you're up against or the players that you're trying to tell, this is how we are getting, you know, this is how we are going to play. You're not, you're not putting them up against an opposition that's playing a, a totally different system and trying to, to, eradicate what you're doing so pre-season games for me that's that's where you get the minutes you know you put them them hard minutes in the legs get the lungs working and build up the fitness you can't do that on on the on the training pitch not not what that's 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 my opinion anyway good stuff so look it's uh, just gone over the hour there um what i'm going to do actually um and i'm sure probably kevin um, Chris will make predictions tomorrow. So um, the match on Saturday, Charity Shield, Community Shield, Charity Shield is what it used to be called. Um, Community Shield, um, I think it's five o'clock, is it five, quarter past five kickoff on Saturday. Give us score prediction, Ron, you know the rules. Um, if you're going to say, you have to give the scorers. Um, so score prediction from you first, uh, Ron. 2-1 uh, Liverpool, uh, Salah and Diaz. Math. Four-one Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> Salah. Salah opens the scoring, and then uh, Firmino with one, and Virgil and Darwin. Dan. I think we nick it on penalties. 
I think it will go the uh, the distance. I can see it being a KG affair and a bit disjointed because of the squads, players available, etc., etc. So yeah, I think we'll nick it on penalties. I'll go two 0 I know everybody thinks I'm mad because if Haaland plays, he's going to be an absolute monster and he's going to score a million goals. But I'll go two 0 um, and I will go. I'll go Salah and Nunes. That's yeah. Um, although winning the Community Shield doesn't generally bode well for the the winner uh, going forward to win the league, so uh, <laughs> maybe it's best if we don't win it now. But look, um, thanks uh, everybody. Sorry, you touched on it there earlier on, Kev and Chris. will be back with a kind of a new revamped show tomorrow night. Myself and Matt actually got a sneaky peek at some of the, uh, the visuals and the, uh, the templates for it, and it looks absolutely unbelievable. Um, so everybody should join uh, in on that one tomorrow evening at 10 o'clock, and they'll have some guests on it as well with them. Um, Matt's going to use it to try and fill out the rest of his fantasy Premier League team. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, heard, I heard from a credible source that Gavin Bazunu is going to be the best goalkeeper in the league this year. So he's uh, he oh, was it Southampton that bought him? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If he doesn't play, I don't have a starting goalie, so I should probably watch Friday's show. <laughs> Everybody should watch Friday's show. Um, well, listen, uh, Dan. Thanks very much for coming on for show. We'll hopefully, see Pleasure. you again. Uh, anything else that you'd like to add? No, just uh, thank you for having me. It's been great. No worries. Uh, Matt, anything more to add? No, not at all. Just it's getting giddy time. We're getting so close to kick off, man. Good Next stuff, weekend. good stuff. And thanks for coming on, um, partner right. in crime at this stage. And Ron, good to see you again after a few weeks break. Uh, anything less? Anything else for yourself? No, like, uh, likewise, man. Good to see you guys again. Looking forward to getting the season on the road, man. Good stuff, good stuff. So um, that was the viewer's voice. Um, we'll be back again next week. Um, next week we actually have another viewer coming to join us. Owen will be on next week, so we look forward to that one. We'll see you then. Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.